Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Everybody, how's everybody doing in the house today? You guys good? You look awesome. You look awesome as always. Welcome, welcome. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint, and we're so glad you're here. And I just got to give it up for all the folks. I know there's a bunch of folks out in the lobby, too. Uh, sorry you're out there. We're going to make a bigger room at some point. Come on, you guys got to believe in God for a bigger room for us here. It's got to happen. So give it up for them and all of you online as well. We love you guys so much. Thank you for being with us today. I, I just have to say this because it, um, it matters. It means so much to me um, and to our staff, our team, that folks would come and check us out for the very first time. If, the, if you're a guest with us today, thank you. Thank you so much. I know there's so many places you could be, so many churches you could be at, so many things you could be doing, but the fact that you uh, are here with us means so, so, so much. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, one, one celebration. Last week, um, we had 16 people uh, get baptized, and so we're so, so excited about that. So excited for them. I, I got to show you this picture real quick, um, if you don't mind. Uh, this is my dog, Carson Boy, right here. This is Carson. Uh, Carson is a miniature Australian shepherd. He turned 14 day before yesterday, and that's not why I'm putting him up there. You're like, well, seriously, bro, you're putting your dog pictures up now? How old are you? All right, yeah. No, uh, I just got to tell you a little story about this little dude. Um, we, uh, he used, when he was younger, and those of you who've had dogs, you know this, that when they're young, they make a lot of, can I use air quotes, mistakes all over your house and on your rug and your floor. I'm trying to be gentle. Uh, my mother always says, Daniel, must you be so graphic? Uh, I think she's... Um, from Amish country? I, I don't know. She's very uh, specific how she says things. It cracks me up. Daniel, must you be so graphic? Uh, anyways, so we would try to fix him, right, Rach? We would try to fix him, and we'd be like, you know, like, we don't want to beat him or, you know, whatever people do to try to get their dog stuff. So we'd be like, Carson boy, for shame on you, for shame. And, and probably because of my tone of voice, he would always get real small and shrink and start, you know, shivering like, What's going to happen to me? It's like, we didn't beat you, dude. We're just saying for shame on you. And then we, we, we knew, we, we started to learn, he knows, he knows what this means. Like, he knows shame now. And we've taught him shame. Praise be to God for the <laughs> pet dad of the year, right? And so it'd be like a party trick. Like, people would come over and go, like, watch this. Watch what my dog does when I say for shame. And he'd shrink down. Worse, PETA came, got me, wrote me a ticket. It was a bad deal. Um, sorry. Um, I, I bring all that up to just say... Um, Shame has, has a powerful effect on people, not just my boy, Carson boy. It has a powerful effect on us, and, and it tries to make us small. And I want to talk about it today in our last message in this series, Jesus Over Everything, where we're just talking about the things that, 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 we, that are part of our lives, that might be part of our lives, where the enemy might use our, our kind of worst ways or the things some tactics to sort of derail us from becoming who it is that God wants us to be and what it is that God wants us to be. I, I think it's true that for most of us, if, if not all of us, there's something that you hope nobody ever finds out about you, right? I mean, most of us have one of those things and you can't wave your head because then you'd be acknowledging, yes, you do. And then your husband or your wife or your friend would be like, well, what is it? You know what I'm saying? You're like, it's none of your business, man, right? And then it would be a fight, and it would be all weird, and we don't want to have that in church. We want you to be, we want you to be encouraged today. Um, maybe it's just something from the past that you hope never comes to light, like it was part of your life, and then you've tried to push it away, swept it under the rug, whatever. Uh, something you hope never comes to light, and, and, and it could be as simple as, as the way that we looked at ki- as a kid, the, the, the way that people talked about us as a kid. 
the words that were spoken over us by teachers or friends or whomever. Could be um, a relationship um, that went south where we got dumped or we got divorced or um, we got humiliated. Could be some poor decisions that we've made. Something that happened to us, an experience that was outside of our own control um, or somebody took advantage. Um, and, and as adults, I think shame tends to come to us via our parenting, where we let ourselves run too low, or we intimidated, or we shamed, or we were uh, overreacted, we yelled, we screamed, we intimidated, whatever it is. Sometimes shame comes to us as parents from our own kids. Um, I was talking to a lady just yesterday who was saying that her adult child now uh, it just keeps reminding her of how terrible of a mom she was, and the shame she was feeling um, from from that. And, and it's not always somebody else that's putting us down, is it, right? Sometimes um, the most painful shaming experiences are often self-inflicted, yes or no, right? Um, I, I would argue that no punishment is so painful as the self-inflicted kind because isn't it true that we can create boundaries against uh, other people who harm us in our lives? We can create boundaries. We can, we, we can, we can build space between them, but we can't build space between us and ourselves, So it's hard to get away from the noise and the pain and the enemy, your spiritual enemy. I don't know if you know this, but you have a spiritual enemy. Uh, The Bible calls him Satan, Lucifer, you know, um, we used to call him back in the day. My my parents would call him Old Slewfoot. I don't know what that means, but I kind of like it. That's a good one for me, Old Slewfoot, right? But he wants to use, uh, Stephen Furtick, uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick wrote a book called The Chat, uh, something about a chatterbox. I remember that. And it's just this noise, this voice that it's constantly running you down uh, to yourself. And, and, and I think also another thing that at least is true for me is that our personal past, in particular bad parts of our past, often speak louder than our successes do. Right? Like you let 10 people give you a compliment about something and one person um, give you like a, a rebuke about that same thing. And what do you remember? The 10 compliments or the person who said something bad, right? We remember the bad. We have this capacity within us. I I think we have to put this on the table right here, that shame has a voice in our lives. And and, and sometimes, I'll I'll speak for men. Men, we can tend to think that shame is something that maybe, I don't know, it's for some other people, but shame is really powerful in the lives of men. I I had a counselor this time last year that I was talking to, just kind of helping me work through some just from the fog of all of the things that had been going on from COVID and to all of the things that were happening in church world. And he said, Danny, shame is such a powerful force in our world today. And it's a powerful force for even for, for pastors and people of God and people, believers. It's, it's got such a hold on people's lives and people don't even know the hold that it has on them. And this is why I feel like today could be of, of the five messages that we've done in this series could be for some of you, the whole reason you're here today is to hear this, this word, I hope, from, from the Lord. Lewis Mead says this thing, it says it this way, the feeling of shame is about our very selves, not about some bad thing we did or said, but about who we are. And then he says, and it tells us that we are unworthy. Shame says you are unworthy, unworthy of, of love, unworthy of being treated well, unworthy of finding someone who will treat you and love you well, not, not worthy of being, uh, of God's love, of God's grace, not worthy of being someone. Shame has the capacity, when we give it this capacity, to rename us, to rename us, to label us, to, to libel us. And sometimes 
we will, we will give ourselves labels because it works, shame works under the equation, I did, therefore I am. And so we will, we will give totalizing words over our lives. Like we'll say things like, you always do this or you never do this. And it's fill in the blank, whatever it is. And, and so shame um, can kind of lock us into hard places. So, so I'm, I mean that by saying, we'll say things like, I'm always angry because my dad was angry because his dad was angry. Or my family has a bunch of alcoholics. It just runs in our family, so it's probably going to get on me too. And we'll just kind of lock in. I, I'm like my mother. I'm like my father. I'm, I'm a wreck. I'm a people pleaser. I'm a jerk. I'm insecure. I'm unstable. I'm an addict. I'm un, all of it at the end of it is I'm, I'm worthy. I'm not unworthy. I'm not good enough or I'm not enough. And those labels, which often start out as sort of little threads of self-dissatisfaction, over time become a straitjacket of self-condemnation. Starts out with a little self-dissatisfaction, it ends up in self-condemnation until shame is like a prison, but it's a prison we think we deserve because of what we've done or what's been done to us. So just to be clear, shame and self-esteem are not the same thing either. Marion Mankin says it like this, um, she says, when I think about my self-esteem, I think about who I am in relationship to who I want to be. And there's always that gap that exists. Where I come from, what I've overcome, what I've accomplished. But when I feel shame, listen to this, I'm taken back to this place of smallness. Where I lose the sense of context of what I've achieved or what's, what God's done for me. And I'm returned to a small place. And I can't see everything else. It's just a small, lonely place. And I wonder if, like me, you've ever felt that before, that that sense of smallness, that sense of insignificance. I, I, I ha- I've had this happen to me all through my life where I've struggled with that sense that you're really not much, bro. You're really not worthy, bro. Uh, this is my own head. In fact, I remember a story. I, I have a lot of stories, but not all of them can I tell you. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to tell you one that I can. This is back from my fifth grade year. I was at Adams Hill Elementary uh, which is over here on the far west side. I grew up in that little uh, neighborhood there. And it was my fifth grade year, you know, getting ready to go to sixth grade. And, and so my mom buys me uh, a brand new shirt. My mother, we shopped at Solo Serve. Uh, no, most of you aren't San Antonio's. You're not burro like the rest of us here. You didn't grow up here, so you don't know solo, any Solo Serve people in the house. You know what I'm saying? And, and the clothes, instead of it saying like, Jordash, it would say Jordash, but stamped over Jordash would be irregular. Come on, right? Or imperfect, right? So it's like not only do I struggle with you know insecurity, but now my clothes are reminding me, right, that they're also imperfect. And then as I got older, it went from from that to husky. Come on, come on, from regular to husky. Come on, anybody with me on this? Like. Got the jeans from the tough skins that have the patch in it that wear your knees down like an old camel by the time you're a teenager, right? Young people, y'all don't know. Y'all don't know the kind of struggles we had. So my mom buys me this new shirt. It's got a three-quarter blue sleeve. It's white. Got a blue trim around the collar. And right in the middle is a little hand going like this. And then I should have known at this moment at the bottom it said, ooh, la, la. My mom bought it for me. What do you do? You wear the shirt. So I go to school that day, and I'm walking around with the shirt feeling pretty, you know, because all my clothes, I'm the baby, right? I'm the baby. There's two brothers older than me. And so I always got their hand-me-down. So now I have my own irregular new shirt. You know what I'm saying? 
And I'm walking around until some dude real early in the day goes, bro, that's a girl shirt. Do what now? No, man, it's not. It's too. My mom bought it for me. No, bro, that's a girl. Vidal Sassoon, bro. That, that's a girl's hair care product. Carson boy, for shame, you know. I want to just hide, man. You, you have two choices in this moment. Go shirtless all day, which is like that nightmare that you have where you go to work and you're naked all day and you're hiding behind your desk like, why am I naked? Anybody? Shame on me again. Apparently nobody else has that one. It's interesting to me that I can't remember somebody's name one second after they tell me, but I can remember this story from fifth grade in vivid detail. Such is the power of shame. Why did I want to hide that day? Why does anybody want to hide shame? Pride. Fear. just want you to write that down. If you're taking notes, pride is what gives shame power. Fear is what gives shame its power. And, 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 and pride is the force behind some of that because what we'll think is somebody's going to find out about this. We're afraid. Somebody's going to know the truth of me. Like, I'd die if somebody knew this thing about me. But can I just give this as a caveat? Somebody already does know. Somebody already did die for your shame. Can you just receive that right out of the gate? All right. But this is the thing about shame. It always minimizes who you are. It always tries to shrink you down to size. And here's how the enemy will use shame. The enemy will magnify whatever the event was that caused the shame. And at the very same time, he will minimize your value. He will minimize the power of God's grace to, and, and to help you overcome this. Shame minimizes us. So here's what I want you to know. The next time you feel small in a moment... Because of something somebody said or something somebody did. You can be sure your spiritual enemy is now waging war against your God-given identity as the beloved daughter or son of God that you are. You can be sure in that moment when you feel small and you start to shrink, you can be sure it's a spiritual attack on you right then and there. Shame is an inside game. It thrives in the dark. It strives in secret, in isolation. Like we can seem fine on the outside, but there are, there are parts of us that occasionally our memory will serve and it will put us in this place where we visit the place of our shame and it takes us immediately back to the smallness, to, to the isolating effect of that moment. And, and I think the only way to break the chain of shame is to bring it into the light of day by talking about whatever it is that is causing shame to someone, whether that's a counselor, a pastor, somebody you trust. You don't just announce this, but you talk to about somebody you trust. And then you bring it also, and, and most importantly, you expose the shame to the light of God's grace. The voice of shame in our heads will never stop until we allow Jesus to break the power of shame in our lives. We know from scriptures that we are not meant to live this way. If you think back to the creation story, way back to the very first book of the Bible, the high point of God's creation is not there was no sin, although that is a true statement. Here's the high point. Genesis 2:25. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no say it. They felt no shame. They felt no shame. Why, why doesn't it just say they, they were happy because they were naked or they were comfortable naked or they were like totally at ease? Why does it say they felt no shame? I think that this statement is about the state of the human identity and, and, and their relationships in this moment. They lived in a state of perfect trust with one another. 
and with God. And this, what this means is that they had absolute clarity about who they were and whose they were. They had absolute confidence that, hey, I'm a son of God, right? I'm, I'm a daughter of God. He created me. He's pleased with me. He made me. And he said at the end of it, it is good, right? He said this. Can, can you imagine a day where it feels like you can believe that with full and utter confidence? No shame, no hiding, no fear. I am the beloved of God, and he has paid the price for everything that's ever happened in my life that's gone wrong. He's paid for that. And I think this detail is here to remind us that it's possible for us to live like this. But we know from this story that into this relational perfection steps the enemy to create distance between us and God. This is what he tries to do, to create distance. And Adam and Eve sinned. We know the story. Even if you don't know the Bible, you know this particular story. And in chapter 2, we see this happen, what happens after. So Genesis 3 says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Isn't that an interesting detail? Because God knows where they are. He knows everything. Why is he asking this question? He asks this of you, by the way. When you wander away, when you make choices that, that you know are outside of his plan and goodness for your life, Danny, where are you, bud? Not because he doesn't know where I am, but it's, it's, he's asking a question of, of me. Danny, what have you done that has caused the gap, the separation between me and you? And, and Adam answers, I heard you in the garden. And look at this. I was afraid. There's that fear component. Because I was naked. Nakedness was per- perfect the day before, but now it's, there's pride. i got to cover up. i got to hide. I gotta, there's shame. And what does he do in response to this? So... I hid. And we do now what they did then. We hide in different ways. We hide in our homes. We hide away from our homes. We hide in our offices. We hide in housework and yard work and garage work. And we hide behind computers and phones and fashion and social media and ESPN and whatever else, right? Pride and fear motivates us to use whatever we can to hide ourselves and everybody else from our own shame. And it's in this breakdown of our relationship with God in the beginning that leads to a moment of shame where our, our identity, Adam and Eve's identity, uh, worth and security is, is, is lost. The clarity about who they were and whose we, they were was lost. And we've all been trying to get this back ever since. And the reason we do all the things that we do is for this. But we don't always know why we're doing what we do. It's for this. And here's the truth about us. Here's the truth about Adam and Eve. When we sin, when we make mistakes, when we do things that, are, that, that fill our hearts with shame, the enemy will use that shame to drive us away from the very place we should be running toward. Right, right. What should Adam and Eve have done in that moment, right? Should they have run into the woods and sewed together fake clothes out of fig leaves? Or they should have run to their heavenly father and said, here, this is what happened. This is what we did. What do we do now? Right? And, and so this is how it works now in our days. We will run from the very place, from God's people, from God's house, from God's, uh, from, from God's presence. We will run from the very place we should be running towards. And here's one of those spiritual tensions that we have to manage. See, the enemy will use shame and, and, and its ugly sister condemnation, right? Or ugly brother. Uh, uh, I just want to be like, uh, like, make sure we get everybody included here. Like... Like, all the ladies like, yeah, you stop saying sister, bro. It's, it's, it's some ugly dudes, too. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, uh, 
But, 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 but condemnation and, and, and conviction are two different things. So the enemy, we use condemnation, but God has his own tool to help us move forward in life when we sin, when we make mistakes. It's called conviction. The Holy Spirit comes in and goes, hey, bro, you can do better than that. You know that's not the right thing. That's not what God's plan is for your life. God, that's not what's God. And he doesn't leave us hanging there. Going, He doesn't just point out the sin in our life. He helps us through it. He, he's provided grace for it. He's provided forgiveness for it. The problem with so many of us is we haven't grown up enough in the faith to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. So let me help you with that. Condemnation's greatest talent is imitation. So conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit where he goes, Danny, you couldn't do better than that. Condemnation is the enemy's best impersonation of the Holy Spirit's work. And the enemy is adept at trying to sound like the Holy Spirit. So here's how you know the difference. Shame will always drive you away from God, God's people, God's house. Conviction will always have you running towards him. Your heavenly father who's waiting at the end of the road, we learn, going, come home, come home. Right? Because here's the kind of God that's in this place today. Even in the Garden of Eden, we see this, that God hatches a rescue plan. He already has in mind a rescue mission in the Garden, same as he does today. He wants to give you your life back. That everything, look at me, everything that the enemy has stolen from you, God wants to give it to you back and more. He wants to give it to you back and and more. And guilt and shame do not have to be part of my story or your story for, for one more day. Because the enemy takes what is glorious and he ruins it. But God takes what is ruined and he makes it glorious, somebody. Can you get an amen for that? So, so here's how this all starts to work in our lives. If you're in this moment where you go, that's me. He's talking to me. This is how we start to undo what's been done to us. First John 1.9 says, if we, say this with me, if we confess, we bring it out into the light. It will never work without you bringing out into the light of day. If we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful and he is just and he will, will, underline that in your Bibles, he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And here's the thing about life and here's the thing about our past and here's about the things that have been done to us and and we've done. You can't undo them. You can't go back. There's no time machine, right? There's no time machine to go back and undo what we've done or undo what's been done to us. So we have two options. We can only go and repent of what we've done, and we can only go to God for healing of what's been done to us. This is our choice. And every time you do, every time you turn to God, your Heavenly Father, and, 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 and what Adam and Eve should have done, and you go, here's what I've done. God does not leverage our sins against us like the enemy does to create shame. It's, the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, that he leverages his grace against our sins to bring us into deeper dependency on him. So I'm going to dig down here for a moment because here's what I know, and and, and this is just me getting a little teachy for a second here, right? And by the way, I grew up Pentecostal, so if I'm getting louder and louder, it's because I'm getting more and more excited about what God's going to do in our hearts and lives, right? So you're like, why is he yelling all of a sudden? Like, for shame on him. I, I don't know. I don't know why I am. I'm just excited, all right? So here we go. If you say amen, I might go a little faster, but probably not. Anyways, I want to dig down uh, right here, because if you're experiencing shame and guilt, you need to know this is spiritual warfare against you. This is the enemy. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the book of Revelation, John is bearing witness to, as a preview of an epic struggle between good and evil. In, in, In this account, in Revelation 12, verse 10, if you want to write that down, 
The, the, the Bible calls, John calls Satan by a name that he's, is not given to him anywhere else in all of the Bible. He calls him the accuser. And by the way, he says that he gets thrown down at the end, by the way. Now, here's what we know. If you're even a, a partial like, studier of the Bible, you know that the Bible says that Satan is a liar. And Jesus actually comes along and says that's his native language. It, like if he's talking, he's lying. And, and he's accusing, he, he calls him the accuser, but who's he accusing us to, right? Well, he's accusing us to God. We learn this little detail in Job that, that Satan goes up. They all come up before him, before God, and he accuses Job. He's like, Job, have you ever seen your boy Job down there? Like we, we, we know this. But he's also accusing you to you. Right, the chatterbox, do you know what you've done? Do you know who you are? Do you know how not good you are? So this is what he does. And there's a little nuance here. Even though he's a liar, when he's accusing you, he'll use partial truths to accuse you because the enemy will use your own history to inform your, your shame and your insecurity, won't he? Right? An actual story, an actual failing on your part, some event that happened to you. And he'll start telling you that because of this, you're, you're worthless or you're not good enough, that what you did is who you are, that God is finished with you, that if people just really knew who you were, what you did, they would write you off. That's the lie part of it, but that's what he wants to tell you. Satan, the accuser, stands before God in an attempt to somehow lessen God's love or, God, or diminish God's mercy to us. He's like, hey, do you really know Danny? Do you really know what he's about? But his accusations fall on deaf ears because Romans 8 says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Is that good news so far, somebody, right? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself, meaning nobody else can take that from us. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And what does God do? What is Jesus doing for us? He's pleading for us. So 1 John 2 and 1 says that if you sin, you have an advocate, and it's, it's capitalized, right? That means lawyer. It's talking about Jesus. You have an advocate with the Father. So on the one hand, you have the accuser hurling accusations about you to God. On the other hand, you have Jesus, your advocate, defending you against every accusations. Yes, that happened, but I paid the price on the cross for their sins. They are no more. They are perfect. They are sinless because of what I did. I'm their advocate. He's pleading to God for us. So salvation, here's what this verse is saying. Salvation belongs to the Lord and, and his righteousness over our lives, his justification, just as if we never sinned, ha, ha, cannot be reversed by anybody but God. God is greater than our accuser. His, his, his grace is stronger than the accusations against us. That's the truth. But your spiritual enemy, here's what you got to know, all of your life long, all of your life long is going to try to whisper in your ear and sow doubts about the goodness of God and, and the goodness of and, and the grace of God towards you. He's going to do this all your life long. You don't grow out of this. Right? There's no day where you go, okay, I don't have to struggle with that anymore, right? There is a day you don't have to struggle with that anymore, but it's the day you learn the truth and you keep bringing the truth in the face of his lies. Shame has a voice. And shame's voice wants to silence ours. And it's got an incredible memory because it operates on our own memory. And it reminds us in key moments, especially when we're making progress. Do you remember what you did? Do you remember what you are? Do you remember who you harmed? Do you remember? And, 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 and listen, if you don't refute the accuser with the truth, shame will silence the good you might do in this life. 
and you will live in the shadows and you will live on the sidelines and you will live underneath God's privilege that he has for your life. It, 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 and I've seen this with even great men of God and pastors and leaders and believers where they've made a mistake of some kind, kind and shame uh, 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 it silences their voice. It takes away their sense of self and, and their identity. It steals moral authority because of some past mistake, some past accusation. And this is one of the key enemy tactics to silence you, to keep you from stepping forward into what God has for you to do. And you've got to know the truth about this. You can't believe the lies because the enemy will come and pile condemnation upon condemnation and baggage that started when you were a little kid, when somebody said what they said to you, that started when you were a little kid and somebody did what they did to you, that started when you were a little kid and you did something that you were ashamed of. He started from those moments piling baggage on you and the, and the enemy wants to load you down with condemnation. So this is why Paul comes along in eight, Romans 8, chapter uh, 1. Uh, Therefore, there is now, come on, say this with me, no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Do you know what this is saying? That once we're in Christ Jesus, we are no longer fighting for victory. We are fighting from a place of victory. Right, you ever, yeah, come on, somebody. You, you ever, those of you who are sports fans like I am, man, there's a part at which a team secures their division, right? And they may happen early in, in the season, they're like 10 games to go. And, and now everybody around them is trying to fight and get into a position to get into the playoffs. Our Spurs are trying, and they're not winning right now. Come on, somebody. But they're going to keep trying because they're Spurs, and Spurs are champions uh, down, down the line somewhere. Praise God. And by faith, somewhere in the future. But once you've, once you've got position of victory like we're already in you don't have to fight for victory anymore you already are you already won victory and that's the truth about you that's the truth about me we are now in Christ we are fighting from a place of victory doesn't mean we don't have battles doesn't mean we're not lose some battles but it means that the battle has already been won and we don't have to live in shame and condemnation any longer the only way that you can walk and experience this freedom, though, is to step into the light with Almighty God and say, God, here's what's happened to me or here's what I've done. And, and I know that your blood has washed me clean and I know that you've forgiven me and, 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 and given me hope and life. But the enemy, i got to just keep telling you this because it's true. The enemy wants to, me to believe that I am irrevocably damaged in life, yet... When I look at the cross, come on, y'all. When I look at the cross of Jesus and I hear him say, it is finished, right? When I hear him say, I can realize, hey, that wasn't just for everybody else out there. That was for me. All of my shame and all of my pain and all of my sin and all of my guilt has been washed away. See, the cross, everybody, cancels guilt and shame. Here's what Colossians 2 says. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave us how many of our sins? All past, present, future, all of our sins, having, say this with me, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has done what with it? He has taken it away and he nailed it where? To the cross. How long ago was Jesus on the cross? Almost 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, canceled, 
Condemnation taken away, been nailed to the cross. And you can rejoice for that faith, that grace cancels guilt and shame. But it doesn't just do that. It renames us because the enemy uses shame to rename us and lock us into labels and libels. I told you about them. But grace comes along and says, that's not your name. You're not failure. You're family. Your beloved son. Your beloved daughter. Grace comes along and renames us. And, and you are a daughter of the almighty God. And the Bible says that we are heirs. Of all that God has, we are heirs because we are his sons, because we are his daughters. And you've been given a seat at the table with Almighty God. David said he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. So I'm invited to sit at the table with God, but I don't have to give the enemy a seat at my table. I don't care what the enemy says about you. God would say, when I look at you, I see Jesus. When I see you, I see Jesus. And there are some of you today who would say, you know what, Danny? I believe everything you said, bro. I've heard that all my life. I, I believe all that, what you just said there. But then you would say something, but here's the problem. I know that God has forgiven me, and you'd be quick to add, but Danny, I can't forgive myself. C can I just tell you, because I've said that, and probably many of you have said that, that's a lie from the enemy. Amen. It's a lie on so many different levels. Let's just deconstruct. I, I can't forgive myself. The truth is, you never could, you never could forgive yourself. You and I have never had the power to forgive ourselves of our own sins, yes or no? Never once in your life has there been a moment where you or me had that power to forgive ourselves. But thanks be to God that he sent Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, to step in the gap for us to do what no one else could do, which is forgive us once and for all for our sins. <clears throat> And I know you think, oh, Danny, that's semantics, bro. You're just twisting words up here now, but that's not it at all. Because when I say I can't forgive myself, that's a kind of pride there. That's a kind of self-righteousness, which is no kind of righteousness at all. It's me saying, Jesus, when you paid the price in full for my freedom, it wasn't good enough. And only when I say it's good enough will it be good enough. And that's exactly what the accuser wants you to believe, that you don't have the capacity to forgive yourself, and, and it's true. Do you think there is something that you or I could do that would make you worthy again? Do, do you think there's something that you or I could do that it would, would erase shame from our lives? If, if you had that power, wouldn't you have done it already? Yes or no? Right? You don't have that power. Some of us are still, though, trying to fix what we did, make it right with God by working harder. That's called religion, y'all. It doesn't work. It never has worked. It never will work. Only a relationship with God will make things right. The self-improvement program isn't working for you. And, 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 and you're, what you're working so hard to gain, he's already given you. You just receive it now. You receive his love. You receive his grace. Can, can I just say this? You've given the enemy a foothold in your life long enough. Why not change tactics and just give God a foothold in your life by his love, by his grace? God, I receive your love in my life. I receive your forgiveness. Give God a foothold in your life. To the extent that you understand how great the Father's love is for you. Come on, this is about the gospel, y'all. See, see we, we understand the gospel is what saves us. But what we don't understand always is the gospel is what keeps us all the way through. It's never your works. It's never your efforts. It's always what Jesus Christ has done for me. And to the extent that I understand how great the Father's love is for us. How great his mercy is 
the depth and breadth of his favor and his goodness towards you. To the extent that I understand how great the love of the Father is for me is the extent of the freedom that I'll have the liberty of walking in. While some of us are still dragging the past around us with us every day, all of the condemnation that's been heaped upon you all through your life, you're dragging it around. And God's like, hey, do you understand? I've already freed you from that. Why would you pick that up? Don't give the enemy a seat at your table one more day. Don't listen to his words, his lies over you one more time. Because whom the Son has set free, Jesus said, is free indeed. Come on, somebody. I know this sounds like preacher talk, but it ain't preacher talk, all right? It's truth. I have to humble myself under the finished work of God. God, if you said it is finished, then I believe it is finished. And what I have to do is stop agreeing with the enemy who says, you are this, you are that, you're never going to be that, you're always going to be that. i got to stop agreeing with that because that's what some of us have been doing. We've been agreeing with him on that. And i got to agree with God. And if he says of you that you are a dearly loved daughter, then you say, I am a dearly loved daughter. If he says that I'm forgiven and free, then I say that. I say I'm forgiven and I'm free. If he says Jesus bore my shame, I say I will not bear another moment what my Savior has already borne for me. I will not pick back up what he took and nailed to his cross. I will not carry that one more moment. If he says I can go forward, then I can go forward and I'm going to stop agreeing with me and I'm going to stop agreeing with my enemy and I'm going to start agreeing with God. I agree. He took all of it, all of it, past, present, future, and he nailed it to his cross. You do not have to sit on the back row of life one more minute. You do not have to hide out and live in the shadows. You do not have to live under the layers. You don't have to protect and build walls because of your fear or because of your pride. You don't have to sit while other more qualified people take charge. You don't have to be silenced one more time because Jesus paid it all and God made him, we've already read this once today, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took our shame and our guilt. This is what we're learning here. And he put it on his innocent son so that he could take the righteousness, the purity of his innocent son and put it on us. Do you understand that? He took all of our baggage and all of our shame and all of our our pain and all of our sin. He put it on Jesus so that he could take the purity and the righteousness of Jesus and pour it in our account. That's how when he looks at you, when he looks at me, that's what he sees. The righteousness of Jesus. Your sins and your shame have been nailed to the cross. Don't pick them up. Don't get stuck there. Don't let the enemy trap you in a stronghold. Don't stay down one more moment. Don't stay silent one more moment. Don't stay on the sidelines one more moment. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And now God declares of you, you are guilt free and you are forgiven and you may walk free because there is no condemnation in your life. I got too many other things to say that I don't have time. Can, you, can I just pray with you a moment? I know not all of you are comfortable raising your hands. That's cool for now. <laughs> just kidding. But would you just open your hands like this? The word of the Lord has been here for somebody in this room today. I don't know who it is. It starts with me, though. I know that it starts with me because I can struggle with this sometimes, too. I want to pray this, but I want to read read the word of God over you first. 
Listen to me every time. It's the power of the God, of God, the power of his word that sets us free. Isaiah 54, verse 4. God says, through the prophet, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confused, for you will not be disgraced. And this is the word for somebody, for you will forget the shame of your youth. You will forget the shame of your youth. The shame of your youth is going to have no grip on you from this moment forward. The power of shame from what's been done to you, from what you've done, is going to lose its grip on you right now in the name of Jesus. So, Father, In the name of Jesus, we are truly grateful for your word and the power of your gospel. Not just to save us, but to continue to remove the things from our lives. Shame, wherever it's doing its lingering work in our lives, that you're rooting it out. You're shining the light on that right now. In the name of Jesus. God, never again will we be disgraced. That's what we just read. But instead, we are going to receive full grace. Not disgrace, full grace in our lives. Never again will we remember or have power, the power of, of the wounding events of our childhood or our young adulthood. Never again will they have the power over us that they've had. Never again will we feel the disintegrating paralyzing power of shame we will not cover up we will not hide we will not fear we will not let pride hold us back from bringing it into the light the scripture says that in Romans that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame God we believe in you come on would you say that God I believe in you God if you say I am free then I am free would you say that if you say I am free I am free If you say I'm a beloved son, God, I'm a beloved son. If you say I'm a beloved daughter, I'm a beloved daughter. God, when the enemy whispers shame on you, God, you come right behind him advocating and saying shame off of you. In the name of Jesus. I believe, God. I believe, God. I believe that you're setting people free, God. I believe right now that people are going to walk out of this place different. I believe that people are going to lose the weight of their past off of them right here in this moment, God, that that you have begun a work in them and that you who have begun a good work in them is, is able to perform it, able to complete it. I believe that in Jesus' name. God, we receive your love. We receive your word. We receive your truth. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hey, stand with me, would you? We're going to sing this last little song. It's time to roll, but just before we do, I just want to sing this song one more time. We've been singing it all through this series. I'm going to ask you guys just to darken the room for just a minute. Yeah, thank you. As we sing this out, I just want you to declare this over your life. Come on, declare the power of God. It's not your might. It's not your power. It's the Spirit of God working in our hearts and lives. It's never been about your spirit. It's never been about your goodness. It's never been about your power. It's not about that. It's about the worthiness, the goodness, the power, the grace of Almighty God. So it's Jesus over everything.
Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.